Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC, the election edition. Day 13 of the campaign, and leaders are once again facing lots of questions about the crisis in Afghanistan. I'll speak with Canada's Minister of International Development for the latest on Canada's response. On a day when the Liberal and NDP leaders campaign in key ridings in Ontario, and the Conservative leader heads east. Today we heard promises on vaccination, pharmacare, and employment insurance. Our panel of parliamentary journalists will be here to dissect week two of the campaign. But first, the leaders and their announcements. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh campaigned in Thunder Bay, where recent polling suggests the two Liberal-held seats in the region could be tight three-way races. Jagmeet Singh repeated the party's promise to spend $10 billion to bring in a national universal pharmacare plan. The cost is high, but Singh says provinces would save $4 billion in drug costs and Canadians would save on average $600 a year. Our plan is to make sure if someone needs medication, they get it. They don't need to use their credit card, they use their health card. We know that many people in our country are paying right now for medication even though they have a drug plan. They pay premiums or co-payments. Our plan would eliminate all those costs. Singh says the Liberals have long promised universal pharmacare, but then never deliver. He campaigned in 2019 very openly, saying that he would bring in universal pharmacare. He campaigned and said that this is important and that he would make it happen. And then in his throne speech, he said again, pharmacare is important, we're going to bring it in. And at the first opportunity to actually move forward and bring in universal pharmacare, he teamed up with Air No Tool to vote against it. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau campaigned in Ontario today, mostly in Liberal-held ridings just outside Toronto, facing tough challenges from Conservatives. At a stop in Mississauga, Trudeau promised a re-elected Liberal government would create a $1 billion proof-of-vaccination fund for provinces that introduce vaccine mandates. And he singled out Ontario Premier Doug Ford. This is about doing the right thing and the smart thing. Already, Premier Horgan and Premier Legault have stepped up. And I certainly hope that here in Ontario, Premier Ford steps up as well. It's time for him to listen to public health officials and leaders like Bonnie Crombie. And we'll be ready when he does. Because keeping you safe, that's my top priority. Trudeau also doubled down on his attacks on the Conservative leader for his opposition to mandatory vaccines for federal public servants and travellers. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole began the day in Newfoundland and Labrador before heading to Nova Scotia. O'Toole campaigned in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, in a riding that's been solidly Liberal. He promised a Conservative government would double employment insurance benefits to 52 weeks for seriously ill workers. So Canadian workers can focus on what matters, their health and their family. With Canada's recovery plan, we will ensure that sick workers receive the support they need to recover. You can't have a healthy economy without healthy workers. O'Toole was also asked whether a Conservative government would provide funding to provinces to set up vaccine passport systems. If the provinces make decisions on proof of vaccinations, Uh, vaccine passports, we will support and respect 
what the provinces decide to do. It is their decision. Le Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet was in Chicoutimi, Quebec, for a second day in a riding held by the Conservatives. He called for more federal support for Quebec's aluminum industry. And Green Party leader Annemie Paul remains in Toronto, where she once again pressed the Canadian government to do more for the people of Afghanistan. I'm saying in particular the Prime Minister and uh, his ministers that this uh, crisis has not had their full attention. It has not had the attention it deserves, and that is to the shame and embarrassment of all of us as Canadians. I get to see my family tomorrow for a brief moment as I'm back on the road uh, for Sunday. And that's the kind of day it's been, day 13 of the election campaign. Well, the party leaders also faced more questions today about Canada's response to the ongoing crisis in Afghanistan. The federal government is promising to keep up its efforts to get those left behind in Afghanistan to safety here in Canada. Those people are being told by federal ministers not to lose hope, even while there's no concrete plan yet to get them out. 500 people headed for Canada managed to get on a U.S. flight out of Kabul yesterday. In a moment, I'll speak with Canada's Minister of International Development. But first, the latest from party leaders on the campaign trail today. Even as this temporary air bridge uh, ends with the withdrawal of American and allied troops, we continue to work with regional partners. We continue to do everything we can and will continue to do everything we can to make sure that people uh, who have uh, processes with Canada, who have documentation for Canada, who've been engaging with Canada these past months are able to come to Canada. We will continue to work day in and day out to get them to safety. We should be working closely with our allies and border states to provide refuge for people that are able to flee the Taliban. And with any that have links or their families to Canada, we need to bring them here. We need to show leadership. We need to work with our other allies to establish security corridors for both aid and for refugees. And I did say that we need to work with our allies to provide both political and material support in any way to try and help keep people safe and preserve the ability to provide aid to sections of the country. At this point, uh, I can just say we need to do everything possible to work with our allies to support getting any, anyone and everyone that, can, that we can support to get out of Afghanistan at this point, and with a particular focus on our allies and those that supported our forces. Karina Gould is Canada's Minister of International Development. She was part of a, uh, an update today with a number of federal ministers on the latest on the government response in Afghanistan. Minister Gould, first of all, thanks for taking time to speak with me today. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm really glad to be here, Peter. Thanks for... We, we heard today that uh, Canada did secure space on a U.S. airlift plane for 500 uh, more Afghans coming to Canada, or people coming to Canada. Uh, and I guess a lot of people holding out hope will wonder uh, whether there's any chance that in the, in the last remaining few flights getting out of Kabul, whether more Canadians might make it on a flight. Well, I can tell you, Peter, that we are doing everything we can within the government of Canada to secure exactly that. We are in very close coordination and collaboration with our U.S. partners in particular, but also with the U.K. Obviously, their focus is on winding down their mission, getting Marines and U.K. Uh, armed forces personnel out. Uh, but we have 
you know, really requested. And of course, yesterday was a great example that if there are any available seats, that we do everything we can to get both Canadian citizens, permanent residents, their families, and those uh, Afghans who have visas to come to Canada on those planes. And yesterday was a great example of that collaboration. Yeah, to be clear, I mean, this has been going on now for a, a number of days where Canada has been taking, uh, while the airlift from Canada was actually uh, continuing, uh, there were people from uh, that had been sponsored by other countries on Canadian planes, and other countries have done the same for Canada and other allied countries of the dozen that are, that are there. So um, what are you telling people who are uh, still left behind in Afghanistan? What's your message to them? Well, at this point, unfortunately, as you know, our, our Canadian evacuation effort from uh, Kabul has stopped. Uh, so we are advising people to shelter in place. Uh, it is, as we saw yesterday, an extraordinarily volatile, violent and dangerous uh, situation on the ground, particularly around uh, the airport. And uh, if I could just take a moment to express my deepest condolences uh, to all of the innocent victims and their families yesterday, uh, it, it is a very, very... Um, chaotic and difficult situation, uh, particularly right now around the airport. And so we are advising people to shelter in place. And as Minister Garneau said in the press conference, um, you know, we are working uh, with partners in the region, with our allies, um, you know, as there is this transition from U.S. forces leaving uh, the Hamid Kazai uh, International Airport to hopefully what will be uh, regional partners taking control of the air, uh, airport to see if evacuation efforts may be able to continue. However, we have no timeline on that, but we remain in very close contact with everyone uh, who has been in touch with the government of Canada for evacuation. Right. So on the timeline question, um, uh, for the people who are left behind that Canada couldn't get out but is still trying to get out, uh, can you give me a sense of what that timeline looks like? How much time are we talking about before they might find a way out? Unfortunately, I'm, I'm really not able because those conversations are ongoing uh, between the U.S., between regional partners, between the Taliban. Um, as, as, you, as I mentioned, I mean, it's extremely chaotic um, and very dangerous right now on the ground. We are hopeful. We've received some positive um, signals from regional partners that they may be able to take over um, management of the airport. I think the Taliban understands how important having uh, an international airport is for a landlocked country. But unfortunately, I don't, I don't have a timeline because those conversations are ongoing um, and there is a lot um, of tricky negotiations that are happening right now. Do you, do you know or, or what can you tell us about any discussions that uh, your government, officials in, in the Canadian government, might be having with Taliban leaders? Uh, what can you tell us about that? Well, I can tell you that we're working very closely with our allies uh, to try and continue to secure an air bridge. Um, and we have sent uh, a special envoy, uh, David Spruill, to Doha as a special envoy for Afghanistan. Uh, we are not having direct talks right now uh, with the Taliban, uh, but we are supporting all allied efforts uh, to uh, have those conversations for operational um 
operational requirements, uh, but we are not engaging directly with the Taliban at this point. So where, where is the focus? If, I mean, there's, there's I guess, some um, uh, hope still that uh, the airport can be revived and that flights can, you know, uh, I guess, commercial flights and, and, and maybe more would end up taking um, Canadians and others out of Afghanistan. But um, is it just as likely that the, the way out of this will be that there'll have to be some sort of uh, discussions around um, safe corridors that can get people in Afghanistan into Pakistan, for instance, which is offered to help, and from there uh, they can be spirited out. I can tell you that all of those conversations are happening right now, but the real main focus is on securing the airport uh, so that there is a functional airport, uh, international airport in Kabul. Um, you know, the situation outside of Kabul is even more volatile, quite frankly. Um, the level of control that the Taliban has uh, inside Kabul versus in the rest of the country varies quite significantly. So it um, it is very dangerous for people to cross via land to other countries right now. Um, and it's not necessarily the same actors uh, who represent the quote-unquote Taliban in different areas. So our focus is absolutely um, on the airport and working with allies and partners to uh, be able to continue having an air bridge to get people out of Afghanistan to safety. But we are also uh, working with uh, countries like Pakistan and other neighboring countries uh, to see what is possible. Um, but uh, uh, those those are very difficult conditions right now uh, in the provinces uh, outside of Kabul. Fair enough. Uh, Canada has poured billions of dollars into Afghanistan in, in large part with the goal of advancing the rights of women and girls, and, and now they face a horrible fate uh, under the Taliban. Um, talk to me about that. Uh, how specifically focused is your government on, uh, you know, um, making sure that some of those hard-won advances over the last two decades are not lost, and, and in terms of prioritizing uh, the, uh, the removal of uh, women and girls from Afghanistan trying to get to Canada. Well, I can tell you I've had many sleepless nights over uh, the past few weeks and months uh, thinking about this. I've heard from uh, many uh, women in Afghanistan who have uh, partnered either with the government of Canada or different international organizations or other allies in the advancement of women's rights um, in Afghanistan. And we have prioritized removing uh, women's rights activists from uh, Afghanistan. They are one of the priority vulnerable groups uh, in our special immigration measures program. Um, and we are in constant contact with uh, women's rights organizations and activists on the ground in Afghanistan, um, but also those who have left Afghanistan who would qualify uh, to come to Canada through our special immigration measures program. Um, and I would just say that this has been a priority for me personally. Um, over the past 18 months, uh, you know, when the United States announced that they were going to be entering in, um, entering into peace negotiations with the Taliban, uh, one of the first things that I did as Minister of International Development was to say that our international assistance in Afghanistan would be dependent 
on safeguarding women's rights. And I made that announcement public um, back in November of 2020 at the Afghan Donors Pledging Conference. And we have been in constant contact with uh, the United Nations and other partners uh, really to reinforce this message. And it's one that both Minister Garneau and I reinforced at the G7 Foreign and Development Ministers last week and so that we could have a united front as G7 countries when it comes to protecting um, and safeguarding women's rights in Afghanistan. Canada's Minister of International Development, Karina Gold. Uh, thank you so much, Minister, for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. Well, let's call on three colleagues in the parliamentary press gallery for their thoughts on week two of the election campaign. Susan Delacourt's a columnist with the Toronto Star. Joël-Denis Bellavance is the parliamentary bureau chief for La Presse. And Mia Rapson is a parliamentary reporter with the Canadian Press. Good to see you all. Uh, Susan, what's been the big story of the campaign this week and what impact is it having? <clears throat> Well, you know, uh, uh, this has been, I think the, the general discussion at the end of last week was there's no one real issue. Uh, there is, um, Afghanistan looms over everything, of course, but I'm not sure that we're ready to put that in the, the category of a campaign issue yet because, uh, it hasn't featured in, in much conversation between the, I think affordability and, um, uh, housing, all of those things, uh, the, the cost of living, that's been a, a theme for all of the parties. And I think we're closing in on the idea that we may be talking about the pandemic um, soon, vaccination passports right. specifically. Uh, yeah, that was big on the campaign trail today. Joel Denis, what are your thoughts? Yeah. What's What's been the big issue this week and what impact has it had? Well, to me, it's the continuous morphing of uh, Erin O'Toole as a friend of unions. Uh, he had three proposals <laughs> this week just to get closer to unions, uh, one that would allow... Uh, members of uh, um, unions, members to be part of the administration board of companies. Another one to protect the pension funds of workers if uh, the company goes bankrupt. And another one uh, uh, today or Friday, uh, giving uh, extending uh, the um, unemployment insurance if you get sick from 26 weeks to 52 weeks. That kind of proposal would get out of the mouth of the NDP or the Bucket Club, but. They're actually coming out of the amount of Erin <laughs> O'Toole. So this is uh, just shows how to the center that Mr. O'Toole is trying to bring his party to make it more appealing to middle of the road Canadians. So <laughs> the morphing of Erin uh, O'Toole is very much to me a, 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 a revolution this week. Okay, uh, Mia, what about you? What do you what do you think's been the big big issue on the campaign trail this week, and uh, how do you think it's playing out? For me, it really is Afghanistan. I mean, this was not an, an issue that people sort of saw coming. Uh, I don't think that the prime minister would have necessarily saw this this coming as an issue, but there's no doubt that it is hurting the liberals. They are not been, they have not been able to be as on message about what they want to be talking about because at every press conference that Trist Justin Trudeau has, half if not more of the questions that he's getting are about Afghanistan. Canadians are watching what's happening there with a lot of alarm, a lot of concern, uh, and it is definitely dominating the discussions, at least for the Liberals, and not getting the messages they want to get out about things like vaccines and passports and healthcare and climate change. Right. I, and let, let's uh, sort of uh, move off, move on that a little bit, Susan. With, I mean, you, you, we've all covered a lot of campaigns here, and if you're not playing offense, you're playing defense. And, and that's really important in terms of the dynamics of a campaign. So who's been playing offense this week and who's been playing defense? Oh, I would definitely say that the Liberals are playing defense. And, you know, the uh, the main issue sort of that we've been pursuing a bit at the start, my colleagues have been doing some great work on this, is 
at the end of last week, there was a, sort of a debate about whether the Liberals were doing, were having a bad week or a good week. And then it, that somehow solidified, thanks to the polls a bit, into the idea that, is it time to panic? And, you know, there, I, all of us remember Jean Chrétien, Nervous Nellies, or um, uh, the, the sort of past liberal panic of the past. And so I think there has been a growing sense this week that the Liberals are playing defense more than they should for a party that was supposed to have gone into this campaign with all kinds of advantages. For some of it is for the reasons Mia's talking about, events, right. Afghanistan. Others seem to be... The Liberals are doing this almost as a, a paint-by-numbers textbook campaign, and it doesn't feel like the right tone for a once-in-a-lifetime election, a pandemic, all of the, the big things we're being told. J.D., uh, you know, uh, we should tell people... Joel Denise, a hockey goalie, so he knows about <laughs> he knows about playing defense. Uh, An award-winning one. <laughs> what are you What are you seeing? Uh, what are you seeing, JD, this week in terms of who's on defense and who's on offense? Well, I agree with Susan. Uh, the Liberals are clearly on, on defense, but it depends on the region. In Quebec, I would say that the situation is pretty much stable for the Liberals. They're not losing any seats. They may not be making the gains that they're all hoping for, but they're not as uh, on the defense as, for example, in Ontario, where things are appears to be moving in some direction and not in favor of the Liberal Party. Uh, the NDP is very much uh, solid in, in, in uh, Ontario, uh, being a player, a real player in some races. Conservatives seem to be picking up some support. So yeah. the traditional bastion of the Liberal Party, which has been Ontario, seem to be sort of uh, uh, shaking loose. And, and you see some, some, some fruits being picked up by other parties. So it put into jeopardy. Obviously, uh, the attempt by the Liberal Party to win a majority, they can't keep the seats they have in Ontario. They, they have to keep those seats. Otherwise, they're going to be uh, very much on the defense. Yeah, but they not, not only have to keep those, but, uh, you know, the, the, the conventional thinking is they not only have to keep the ones in Ontario, but they have to win some more in B.C., but they certainly have to win more in Quebec. So if they're not losing yeah. seats in Quebec at this point, uh, that's almost a loss at this point, isn't it? They have to win seats in Quebec, not just hold what they have, but... Yeah. Absolutely. The Liberals told me before the election was launched that they want to win 10 seats in Quebec. This is going to be difficult to achieve. Maybe they can win five seats. But uh, other than that, uh, that's the biggest, uh, I think, uh, hope they have right now is winning five seats more. So they need more than that if you want to recapture right. a majority. What are your thoughts, Mia, on offense and defense here? There's no doubt the Prime Minister's been on, on defense. He, like I said before, he's not getting his message out because he keeps getting questions about things that are happening, events or things that are his, you know, today he was asked about, you know, his own campaign stop. Was it violating Ontario's public health rules? So he is not being able to get out the message. And many of the questions and answers, it sort of seems like he he knows the answer he wants to give. It doesn't matter what the question is, uh, which is really a sign that it's he's playing far more defense. He is not able to sort of get those attacks out on, on his own. Uh, he's, he, and nobody's actually asking him sort of to give the, the, the lines that he wants. Mm. Uh, it is no doubt that they're on they're on defense. Uh, you know, there's some, some things that have happened in the other campaigns uh, that maybe they're not thrilled about, but they haven't actually gotten that much attention because of what's going on with the Liberals. Okay, um, Susan, I think a lot of people were wondering exactly when this would happen, and it may be a sign of uh, flowing from the conversation we we're just having about offense and defense. Justin Trudeau is attacking. Doug Ford today over vaccinations. He singled out Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, Jason Kenney in Alberta for criticism as well. So today taking on, uh, yes, Aaron O'Toole again over health care and vaccinations. But uh, what do you think it means that he's now going after conservative premiers? 
Well, I keep wondering what it means for this uh, this great report that my colleague Rob Benzi had that there was a detente or a truce or a non-engagement pact between Ford and Trudeau in this campaign. And and there is tension between the O'Toole branch of Conservatives and, and Doug Ford, and, and Trudeau may be trying to poke at that a little bit too. We are hearing and we've seen evidence that Doug Ford is nowhere in this campaign, certainly not like he was in 2019. I... Um, I would read it, I, I don't think I'd read it as desperation or anything by, by the Prime Minister, uh, the Liberal leader, pardon me. I think uh, I see this as um, a, an attempt to make this election into a choice between Conservatives and Liberals. That's, mm. the, that's the path they see to September 20th. What do you, what do you think, Amia? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, Justin Trudeau has been trying to do that for months, sort of put Aaron O'Toole against and up in the same line as premiers that he thinks Canadians or the people in their, those provinces aren't happy with, Doug Ford, Jason Kenney in Alberta, in terms of their handling of the pandemic uh, and sort of the responses that they are that they have given. He's trying to tie them all together. Uh, it, it, I, we did have some some sort of strategists telling us before the campaign that this detente with, the, with, uh, the, with Doug Ford in Ontario would probably end if the Liberals started to be in, to get into some trouble, uh, that they would probably ignore Doug Ford until then. And so since we're starting to see this, um, the, and we now are seeing the Liberals maybe in a little bit of trouble, a little, definitely more than they expected, you're now starting to see him bring out these kinds of attacks. But in mm. another sense, he also can't really help himself because he's gone after Doug Ford, he's gone after Jason Kenney for so long uh, that it's just sort of a normal activity for him at this point. <laughs> uh, Joel, what are your thoughts on that? And including like Weave in Quebec for us. Uh, Francois Legault was out yesterday with his list of demands. Uh, chief among them, you know, uh, send us health care money, don't tell us how to spend it. So that uh, goes directly against the kinds of things that Justin Trudeau is talking about. Is there detente with the, the Quebec premier and is it going to hold? It was a detente, but it just went down the drain when Mr. Trudeau announced some investment that he wanted to make in health care with conditions and also in long-term care. That didn't go well in Quebec City. I'd like to go back to uh, the point you, uh, my other colleagues were making about uh, Doug Ford. Just, uh, this illustrates to me that Justin Trudeau does not know who Aaron O'Toole is, and he doesn't know how to define him. He is, uh, I think he thinks that Mr. O'Toole is in the same conservative mold as Stephen Harper or Andrew Scheer. That's not the case. Bring the party to the center. And that's harder for the Liberal Party to attack uh, Aaron O'Toole, who's bringing his party to the center. And uh, so that makes it more difficult. And that's why you see Mr. Trudeau bringing in the premiers from uh, 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 Alberta and Ontario and at some point Saskatchewan, who are not as popular yeah. as they should be, obviously, and trying to bring this unpopularity to O'Toole. But will it stick? I don't know. So far, he's been wow. thro throwing jello at the wall. And it's not sticking. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> and we've we've seen before. Uh, there's there's room for everybody in a Canadian election. Uh, we've we've oh, seen yes. that over the years. Uh, Susan, <laughs> let's finish on this. Aaron O'Toole said today that he won't honor the new Liberal targets for climate change emissions reductions if he forms government. That he'll go back to the Harper era targets initially adopted by Justin Trudeau of 30 percent. Uh, cut to emissions from 2005 levels by 2030. Uh, but the other parties are offering more ambitious emissions reductions target. He's kind of the outlier on this. Uh, how vulnerable could he be on this climate issue, having you know, expended a lot of capital to move his, uh, his party towards, uh, towards taxing carbon, uh, but now saying uh, the targets are the targets and I'm not moving off them? 
I saw that as an interesting development and a, a sign that the campaign may be moving into a new a new phase. As, as JD has been saying, you know, Erin uh, O'Toole has been sort of gliding through this so far. I think the the higher he's been climbing in the polls, the tougher the questions are going to get. And you saw that today. The climate one, I think, is going to be one. I think on vaccination passports, he did not answer the question today. And I think that you're going to see, um, all right, if you're serious, what are you seriously okay. proposing? He has lots to say about his own platform, but when he's 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 caught on defensive, he doesn't have a lot to say. Okay, I got 15 seconds each for uh, Joel Denis and me on this uh, quick quick answers, please, on on Aaron O'Toole and climate change and vulnerabilities. Well, it could be a, a problem for Mr. O'Toole in British Columbia and Quebec, whereas climate change is the big priority. We've seen so many forest fires in British Columbia, so he brought this issue to the top of minds of people. And climate change is very much also a dominant issue in Quebec, so it could be problematic for Mr. O'Toole. All right, Mia, final word to you. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Climate change is still a top-of-mind issue for many voters. Um, I haven't heard a lot about it in this in this campaign, but Aaron O'Toole has not been as specific as he was today. He's been asked about these targets for months. Today was the first time he said, absolutely, I will not raise, go after. I'm actually going to have to go to the UN and lower those targets. That is something that the, I guarantee you the Liberals will seize on, the NDP will probably seize on, and might make some Canadians for whom climate change is a big deal uncomfortable. All right. Thank you all. Uh, week two of the campaign just about down, and uh, we all look forward next week to week three. Take care, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Have a good weekend. Thank you. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics, the campaign edition. From all of us here at CPAC, I'm Peter Van Dusen. Thanks for watching. I'll see you next time.